excited to do it with you. Um, thankful for the leaders and the elders that are, that are here in place. And I'm excited for, you know, just, you know, I think the, let's break down the whole mentality of when it's winter, people stop churching. Um, right? It's like school holidays. Okay, we put away our church life now and we'll be back in, we'll see you in August. Um, so, let's, let's be excited and let's be expecting for the next three, four months. Um, last time I checked, God is still in control. Um, he's still got a plan for the city. He's still got a plan for our nation. And whether he wants to do it in December or January or July, are we ready for what God wants to do? Um, so our Multiply series um, has really been challenging on a personal level for me as well. Just the last two weeks, if you've missed it, I want to encourage you. This is a series where you can actually take back to your connect groups. Hello, my girl. Um, <laughs> just, yeah, anyway, um, sorry about that. She's very cute. Um, Anyway, um, this is a series that I want to encourage you to not just, you heard it once and you moved on with your life. To even take this into your connect groups, take this into your homes. I'm going to listen to this again. Why? Because there is so much lies, so many lies about our finances and God's heart for it. That's why we're doing this series, is, is that the Bible becomes our foundation in how we see and apply finances in our lives. That's the reason for this. Is to get back to the root of what God taught, what God teaches us. 11 out of the 39 parables that Jesus taught on was about finances. So if you're sitting here and maybe you're new and you're uncomfortable because we talk about finances, well, if we have to take away Jesus' words on finances, we have to delete 31% of everything he taught about. 31% of what Jesus, and probably even more. Why? Because this, how we steward what God has given us is very, very important for the short time we have here on earth. We also do this because we want you to live in freedom and not to be in bondage in the consumer, consumerism spirit that is hovering over the face of the earth. What is consumerism? I want, I need, I want, I need. I'll do whatever I must to gain that. As a church, we will be irresponsible not to care about your sexual freedom. We will be irresponsible not to care about your relational freedom, to see you be free in your relationships. And as the same breath, we'll be irresponsible if we do not care that we do not live financially free lives, to live in liberty and not be caught up by what the world expects of us to live and do with our finances. I don't think it's supposed to be this heavy topic that we speak about. I believe that this is so biblical, so close to the heart of God, because money has the potential, or let me say, the love for money has the potential to grip your heart and never let you go. The love for money will make you do weird things, make you make strange decisions, and set up your life that maybe over in 10, 20, 30 years from now, you'll see the disaster that it's caused. So maybe you've grown up with certain ideas or lies about God and finances. No, God blesses everyone except me. Or I've given and I've given and nothing's happened. Maybe there's stuff that's happened in your past that has formed your understanding or ideology about God and finances. And I really trust that this morning and over this last three weeks that we've done, that somewhere truth is breaking through and that you can see light aligning in your heart. But we also do this because I believe where the church is, there should be blessing for the world. Let me say that again. I, we also do this because I believe where church exists, the world should be blessed. Because every nation willows exists, Pretoria should be blessed. 
We're also doing this because we want to take ground. We want to win ground. We want to claim what the enemy has taken for his kingdom into the kingdom of darkness. And we want to say, no, 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 we're claiming that back in the name of Jesus. Because we've got a job to do. There's a mission to complete. There's a race to run, church. So I'm going to pray for us. Thank you, Lord, that we can be here today. And I really pray, Holy Spirit, that you work in our hearts, that you work in our minds, that we hear your word today. That your word sets us free from bondage, that sets us free from, free from fear, that we will walk in the calling, God, that you've called us to do since the days of Adam and Eve, to steward and have dominion over this world. Thank you for every gift that each one of us has already, whether it's financially, materially, whatever it is. And I pray, may we see it as opportunity to grow your kingdom. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen. So who remembers the Soccer World Cup 2010? Yes. Kinaako, right? Okay. It is here. All right, there we go. Incredible time to be alive as a South African. Now, those of you who maybe missed the 1995 World Cup, this was our chance to experience something that was amazing. Okay. Now, I also remember there were these ideas about the Soccer World Cup. Like, Africa is going to come into South Africa. They're going to take over. Like, people are going to come and they're never going to leave. So I actually know people that, that fled, said, we will not be here while the World Cup is on. We're going to go and have holiday in Botswana. Yes. Remember, there was like these weird ideas about it. Now, I'm giving away my age. I was matric back then. So for us, it was a month's holiday in your matric year, um, which was really great. And, and I remember one of the labels that they had for this World Cup event was once in a lifetime. Now, I don't know about you, when I see once in a lifetime, when I hear once in a lifetime, that already just gets my heart pumping and I'm like, I'm in. Like well, when you're walking through, maybe in a month's time, you'll see um, in every mall, it's got end of season sale. <laughs> I'm not going to lie, that makes me pause for a while and I'm like, ooh. Um, or closing down sale, last chance, right? Yeah. Who all... Come on, once-in-a-lifetime experience. Who doesn't like once-in-a-lifetime experiences? Hopefully most of us. All right. I remember, so this once-in-a-lifetime atmosphere takes over the city of Polokwane. And um, I remember New Zealand and Paraguay are playing a game at the Pida Mukaba Stadium. Now, once-in-a-lifetime, right? So me and my friends, we go, we're going to watch New Zealand play soccer, which doesn't make sense, right? But we, are, we bought tickets because we're going to watch New Zealand versus Paraguay. And we just, we just completely, we, like we are just, we're in it. So we actually, we find this bunch of Kiwis and because of rugby and cricket, we know a bit of the anthem. So before we see it, we're standing with the Kiwis and we're singing, God of nations at thy... So I'm singing this anthem with these New Zealanders, right? Because you don't want to be these random South Africans at a Paraguay-New Ze New Zealand match. I mean, if it was Spain or England or Germany, that makes sense. Anyway, so we joined these Kiwis. And, um, and the Kiwis also have an interesting thing that they do at soccer matches. They take off their shirts and they start swinging it like this. Lo and behold, once in a lifetime, right? Me and my friends, we got our shirts and we, <laughs> we're swinging this. With these bunch of people we don't even know. An awesome experience. The game was nil-nil. But you wouldn't tell. I mean, we were like, this is amazing. What an experience. You know, 
We were just caught up. It didn't even matter. The score could have been minus one, minus one. It wouldn't have mattered. Now, thinking back, it's like, man, we were really excited about a null-null match. Um, I don't think New Zealand had the ball in the half of Paraguay. Like, we never got to see any attack that game. We had cheap seats as well. We were, like, sitting against the field. We were with rugby, it's great. With soccer, you cannot see anything else <laughs> except this little pocket that's happening in front of you. But this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, something that we grabbed hold on, and man, it took over our hearts and our imagination, and we enjoyed it. Today, I'm going to... It's something similar. And I believe that living a generous life is a lot like that. It's a once-in-a-lifetime experience. Why? Because generosity will cease to exist after you die. Whether you end up in hell, whether you end up in heaven, generosity is no more. So think about it. Being generous is a a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity that you and I have, whether you live 20 years, 30 years, 60 years, 50 years, whatever. It's a a once-in-eternity opportunity. Let's stretch it even longer than a lifetime. And this is what Paul actually is writing to, we're going to get into the second letter of Corinthians, and Paul actually, this is what he's revealing to the Corinth church. What I like about the scripture, he's not trying to manipulate them or even calling them, he's in fact giving them an opportunity and a holy privilege to invest into God's kingdom in a time that might pass, that never may exist again. I still believe we are in a time like this. We're a generous people, a generous church, grab onto opportunities that's in front of us, and it might not be in 10 years' time. Because you might not be in 10 years' time. Living a generous life is a once in eternity opportunity that you and I have. That will cease, will not exist. You will not be able to be generous one day in the afterlife, wherever you spend time, whatever your destination is. Because in heaven, it will be without lack. There will be no more tear. Tears, no more death, no more sorrow. There will be, everything will be in the presence of God. Hell on the opposite is the opposite of that. You cannot give because you have nothing. Don't miss this once in eternity opportunity that you and I have to live lives that are mind-bogglingly generous. For the Corinth church, it was not another opportunity to be so generous. So what was happening is there was massive persecution for the Christians in Jerusalem. All right, persecution's breaking out. So there's a lot of hunger, despair. Um, it's really going rough in Jerusalem. So Paul, is the, he's missioning around. He's planting churches, speaking to people, advancing the gospel. And he speaks to the people in Corinth, and he tells them about it, and they are moved by this. They want to get involved. So Paul then continues, and he goes to Macedonia and to other places, and he tells people, do you know what the Corinth church is going to do? Do you know how generous? And he starts sharing what the Corinth people have committed themselves and start giving to the Christians in Jerusalem. And now the Macedonians, if you can read what happens there, they even gave above their means. They were very like poor people. Like The Bible says they were Poor beyond imagination, but they gave more than what was expected. So what, how the Corinth church responded kind of stirred the Macedonians on. So now there's this, it's growing. See, gen- generosity is contagious. Generosity is attractive. Generosity is attractive, contagious, and stirs up more generosity. I love hearing 
stories about people that are extremely generous. I have a friend who's in another church in, in Chwane, and they were busy with a building project. And I was amazed. They said, where's I just sense I'm going to... He gave his car. Now, this is a family of four. got two children. Don't necessarily work from home. And I was amazed by that. He gave away his car so that that money could go into their building project. I'm amazed by stories by that. I don't know, but maybe you've heard crazy generous stories of people giving away. And what does that do in your heart? It stirs you up. What was happening in Corinth has charged the Macedonians to say, we want to get involved and almost go one step further. Generosity is attractive and contagious. I don't know about you, but I've never been moved by a keeping story. Right? I've never been, I've never seen growth or blessing because someone decided to keep something. You know, whereas I was praying, you know, and God said, I must give this and then, you know, but I decided to keep it. And we're so blessed by this. I've never heard of a story where someone decided to keep and not give and that it's made an impact in their lives or the world around them. The scary part is just that materialism and consumerism is also contagious. It's also attractive. And it also stirs up more materialism and consumption. What stories are you consistently listening to around? If you're filling your life with people now, I bought this, dot this, got this, made this, done this, do this, boom. You'll probably start prioritizing your life around that circle as well. The new this, the new that, this new, oh, did you see the new RAV model, 2022? I'm getting it. So what does it do? It puts pressure on you. Because you've still got the 2007 Toyota Corolla. Now it's pressure. Oh, the Fricky's getting a new car. I must probably also start. I'm going to share something later, but on that later as well. There was an opportunity for this Corinth church to respond in a way. And then what happened? Bad theology creeped in into the church of Corinth. Um, there were a lot of people starting to badmouth Paul. And so what happened is people stopped giving. Okay, because uh, they had not, they're not necessarily so fond of Paul anymore. Now they're not giving towards Paul's plan. Sound familiar, right? <laughs> Sounds familiar. So Paul initiates this mission, initiates this, this fun and this opportunity, this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity they aren't happy with Paul anymore because Paul's done something that they don't agree with, and therefore they stop, they stop giving. So Paul has to go back, and this is where we are, chapter six, uh, chapter 9 from verse 6 to 11. So Paul has to go back, and I actually love how he opens this chapter. He says, I shouldn't be telling you this again. You can go read you know, from verse 1. He says, I shouldn't be telling you this again, but I'm going to. All right. Because then he says, hey, I've already told like Macedonia, they're in because of you, by the way. They're giving because they were inspired by your testimony, and they've gone so far. You know, we, both of us are going to get really embarrassed if you don't follow through on what you've promised. Just a side note to that, friends. Let's be people that follow through on what we promise. I've got a friend who always says that delayed obedience is disobedience. Delayed obedience is disobedience. Let's jump into... 2 Corinthians 9, chapter 6 to 11. 
The point is this. I love it when it says, like, so when the Bible says the point is this, this is where we should, like, lean in, pay attention, all right? He's making it very clear and simple for everyone to understand what's coming. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Bountifully or generously is the same word. Each one must give as he's decided in his heart, not reluctantly under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all, all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has, freely, uh, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Verse 10. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. I just feel like I need to pray after reading that scripture again. Like Just like stir something in my heart. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that it's beautiful. Thank you that it's clear. Thank you that this is what we can live from. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So verse 6 says, Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. So pretty much what Paul's saying, if you sow small, you will harvest small. If you sow small, you will produce small. Very simple. If you, give, if you don't give much, you can't expect to see much done with what you've given. Now, before I'm accused or there's maybe suspicion growing that ways, is this prosperity gospel? Like, are we just going to give and God's going to give? The more we give, the more we're blessed, and then we're blessed, God's happy. Before we go there, I just want to say, number one, I do not believe in the prosperity gospel, where you have to give to be blessed. I think that is one of the most dangerous and damaging heresies that is around for the last 20 years in the history of the church where we have to give to get in God's blessing. But there are two equally dangerous viewpoints on finances. I'm just going to touch them quickly. Number one is the prosperity gospel, and number two is the poverty gospel. Okay, Prosperity gospel is the one extreme that basically teaches if you have enough faith and you give, you're going to be rich and healthy. Now, where do we find this? Well, quickly put on TBN or something like that on TV, and you'll quickly see something similar. Maybe if you travel around some suburbs in Pretoria, maybe all suburbs in Pretoria, you'll find places where people believe this. God is obligated to deliver the goods. He becomes a genie who grants every wish to those who are faithful. On the other side, an equally dangerous extreme is known as the poverty gospel, where if you're rich, you're evil. If you're rich, you're unrighteous. Je moet zwaar krijgen the pastor's kids must have second-hand clothing. Do not dare wear Nike shoes. Because if you're poor, that's when you're righteous. That's when you, we know you're living for God. You're giving everything away. I think that is as equal bad theology as the other one. Now, we've seen this fluctuate in church history. Long time ago, it was majority. If you were poor, you were very holy because that meant you give everything away. You looked scruffy. You know, you had nothing. You lived by breadcrumbs alone. And then all of a sudden, it's changed. Now it's, we see celebrity Christians, and they've got it. They've got the planes, the Malibu beach house. 
This is something that might just keep penduling as we go forward. But I believe both of those viewpoints are extremely dangerous and wrong. I want to read you a quote of a man called Mike Andrus, who's a council member of the Gospel Coalition and also a pastor. Where I'm just going to read it to you. I want to be careful not to throw the baby out with the bathwater. You see, nearly every heresy is a legitimate truth taken too far or a biblical idea that has been distorted. The reason prosperity gospel advocates are able to dupe so many people is that they are actually quite close to the truth. The scripture do teach that God rewards faithful giving. That's what we just read. If you sow sparingly, you will reap sparingly. And if you sow bountifully, you will reap bountifully. And this is where we should be aware that taken too far, it becomes abuse. But there's still something so biblical of reap, of, of sow what you reap. We have to understand this. We can't just chuck it all out. That what you sow, you will reap. We see it in the Old and New Testament. Galatians 6 says, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Proverbs 3 verse 9 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruit of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. So do you see that within that, all that hocus pocus, there is biblical truth that you and I need to grasp, need to believe, and need to apply? If you sow a life of stinginess, selfishness, and materialism, the harvest you will experience will be in perfect keeping with what you've planted. If you sow a life of generosity and sharing, you will reap the same results in your own life. Always, how do we know? How do we walk this line? How do we make sure that we stay biblical? There's a few things I want to point you out in the scripture that we just read. Your decision, your motive, and your reason. Three things. Your decision, your motive, your reason. Okay. Each one of you must give as he decided in his own heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Your decision. Love how the scripture says, a decision every man decides in his own heart. Now, decide is a lot the same as the word purposed. Okay, purposed. What does that mean? It means that there was a decision made ahead of time. There was a decision made ahead of time that determines what I'm giving. See, this is in contrast to the impulse or the guilt feeling that we do when we give. We see the gelegenheid. Let me jump on it. Here's just an opportunity. Let me, whoo, I haven't given in a long time. Let's, or the guilty feeling. See, purposed and decided negates those two options because it's something that I've decided beforehand. Generosity is intentional. Our premarital couple that, that walked with us, with Anshin and I way back, encouraged us that we decide as a household income what percentage of our income will we give away. And this is something that we revert, revert every year. We say, okay, out of what, where are we currently now and what are we deciding to give away? No matter what happens late in the year, no matter what happens to this, no matter the circumstances changing, we decide this is what we're going to give. Because it's intentional. What have you decided on? 
Or do we just run with impulse and guilt? Impulse and guilt. Impulse and guilt. No, decide. Today, some of you are going to make a decision on this. I will decide and commit. And I challenge you, just out of a biblical principle and how the world works, don't go less than 10. Say 10 and more. 10 is the bare minimum. 10%. See, if we say that we love the Lord more than, for example, golf, surfing, running, cycling, travel, but... We spend all our money on surfboards, golf clubs, travel, holidays, um, running gear, the newest news. Do you see that just reveals what you've decided? Therefore, that claim that you love God is actually quite empty. Jesus said it simply, for where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. Where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. For your actions reveal your decision. Jesus, I love you. Man, that new Cobra driver is sexy. Oh, I've got to get it. Cobra is a golf brand, for those of you who don't know. <laughs> Just right. realized maybe I should have said TaylorMade or, or, or something else. Cobra, golf equipment. Okay. Generosity is intentional and is not forced or under compulsion. As a church, we don't believe we have to preach on finances all the time through the year. But we do believe we should preach on it. We do, we do believe in it. We're not here to remind you consistently about it because we believe that you must make a decision because it, it's a matter of the heart. Number two is your motive. God loves a cheerful giver. So what does this mean? Does this mean that God only loves cheerful people? Well, no. So John 3 verse 16 said, God so, so loved the? God so loved the? Church, God so loved the world. There we go. It's important we have to remind ourselves that God loves the world and not just Pretoria. Not just Pretoria East. Not just Afrikaners. Not just Zulus. Not just Pedis. It's important that we have to remind ourselves God loves the world. That's why I'm having, I say this over and over and over. But here's like a special mention of a group of people that God really loves. If you've ever been at a wedding where they do like um, the thank yous, then they say something like, oh, you all did so much, but here's a few people that we really like to single out. Yeah. It's almost something like this. <laughs> God says, I love you all, but there's a special bridge of you that I really want to single out right now. I don't know about you, but isn't there, is there anything more awesome to experience on earth than to be singled out by God? No amount of money can beat that. No experience can beat that. No holiday can beat that. Nothing. But I believe he loves us because he loves a cheerful giver because that's him. That was God. He was cheerful when he sent us Jesus. Because when he sees his image in us, he's satisfied. We reflect something about God when we're cheerful. Now, the word cheerful is very interesting as well that we have to look at it because cheerful doesn't mean I've got the smile and I've got my little piece of white donkey. You can take this. It means something so much deeper. See, the word cheerful comes from the word hilarun, which means hilarious. Now, the word hilarious is kind of, it's hilarious. And we kind of see like, when, someone, when, when you laugh ecstatically, what happens in your soul? When you laugh, it's almost like, I don't care who's watching, this was so funny. Yeah. 
there's, you're almost like let go in that moment, right? If you really like laughing till you cry. So this is where the word hilarious, what it means is that giving with abandonment, giving with reckless pleasure. To give with abandonment. I've abandoned that. It it gives me so much pleasure. That's what this word cheerful actually means. So what this should mean is that our giving, we should never look back, never regret, never count the loss, never wonder what if. We never look back, we never regret it, we never count the cost, we never wonder what if. What could I have done with that 30,000 rand? When I look at this, I just see the gospel. Because God never looked back when he sent Jesus to us. He never regretted when he sent Jesus to us. He never counted the loss when he sent Jesus to us. He never asked, what if I kept him and grew him up in heaven? God loves a cheerful giver because he sees himself in you. I just see the gospel so clear. In generosity. See, generosity is the one thing that's connected to faith, hope, and love. Most reasons we don't give is because we don't have enough faith. We're scared God won't provide. Will God really provide? Or we've got so much hope in who we've become and what we have that's like, if I give it away, will I really still be who I am? Or we don't give because we don't love enough. We haven't experienced His love enough. What I love about a man called Zechariah, Zacchaeus, Zechariah, yeah. In the Gospels, when we see Jesus as an encounter with him, I think it's in, I think it's in Luke 16. Jesus as an encounter and experiences something about Jesus that in Luke 19, he gives 50% of everything away that he has. Not 10%. Gives away half of everything he has because that's what an encounter with Jesus does to us. He knew Jesus for three chapters. <laughs> Gave away 50% of what he had. How long have you known him? So is, how do I do this? How do I be a cheerful giver? I, I hear you and that excites me. I want to ha ha give. <laughs> how do I do this? The focus is on the who is on the other side of what I give. Your focus should be on what is on the other side of my generosity? God could do this because he knew we were on the other side of his generosity. Jesus, I'm sending you for my people. For Cindy, for Amy, for Renee, for Dries, for Tienu. That's what I'm sending you. We get so caught up in what we are giving, we never see what's on the other side. I'll tell you guys a story. So I've been on ministry partnership now for nine years. And a few years ago, this is a friend of mine. So she's an engineer. We shared amazing times just ministering together as students at Varsity. And um, I'm making an appointment with her. I'm going to share with her what I believe God's called me to do and the impact that it can have. And in this conversation, I hear that God's moving in her life as well. So um, in this meeting, she reveals that in a month's time, she's resigning to be a missionary in Nepal. It's like, oh, that's awesome. Um, and in that moment, 
Here's me seeing someone for them to invest into my ministry. God speaks ways, but why don't you want to be part of what she's doing in Nepal? Because her being there, I know, will, the Nepalese people will benefit so much with her being there. That the gospel will grow in villages in Nepal, probably where I'll never go. So here's me seeing someone for ministry partnership, and it turns out that I am the one ministering partnership to her. She's not part of this church, she's part of a different ministry. And I'm so, I'm, I'm, I'm so grateful I get to play a part of what's happening in Nepal. I don't claim it as me. Just like she doesn't claim that what she does is her, it's us listening to the heart of God that's got people on it so that we can expand his kingdom. But I'm so thankful. I say, I'm, I'm, part, of what, I'm part of what's happening in Nepal, part of the gospel growing in Nepal. Doesn't it give you joy with that thousand rand, 5,000 rand, 200 rand, 10,000 rand, 200,000 rand? Doesn't it give you joy to know what's happening on the other side of that? Shift our focus. Someone is in the mission field. Someone is walking in their calling. Someone's getting education. We're breaking down poverty. We're alleviating um, we, the orphans being cared for. Whatever. What's on the other side of what you give? Also, just something to remember that this doesn't necessarily mean that this is a some Christians sometimes see this verse as a way to kind of dip generosity. Because I'm not cheerful yet, so I'm not going to give. <laughs> a cheerful heart is not a substitute for an obedient heart. Because God loves a cheerful giver. So it's kind of implied that the giver is there. So, so we're not talking about giving. We're talking about your motive while you are giving. Our hearts should be both faithful and cheerful because we give the right gift to the right motive. Number three, your reason. Now verse 9 and verse 11 kind of touch on this and says that you may abound in every good work. Verse 11 says, you will be enriched. Who wants to be enriched? Raise your hand quickly. You're not going to get it. Quickly. Okay. Joke, just a joke. Okay. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. Enriched in every way, to be generous in every way. What? There's purpose for my richness? There's purpose for my wealth? Which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. The reason you give is connected to your heart condition. Are you giving so that finally, hey, I know if I give, God's going to give back and then I'm going to buy that Porsche. I'll buy my third holiday home at the beach. Now I've got one in Hermanus, Grootbrak, and, and Stanger. Mix it up a bit. See, that's the thing. Pressure of consumerism. About a year and a half ago, and I'm just going to be honest, because being in ministry doesn't exempt us from this. Feels like a year and a half ago, I know my daughter's on the way. We live in a complex, love it three-bedroom little housey, and a lot of my friends in the age group where I am are starting to buy homes. So this one's buying a house, this one's buying a house, and I'm like, hey, I'm getting a child, I'm a start also getting a house. So what happens is I, start, I, I fall into this pressure. Everyone around me is buying homes, so I guess I should also buy homes, right? That's how it works. So now I start strifing. So now at quarter past 11 at night, I'm on property 24. That's serious. It's sick, actually. 
See, the problem is when, when, when we base convictions based on what other people are doing, it pushes us into strife, and strife will kill you. Instead of going and saying, God, what is your, what is your plan? Lord, are you birthing this for us? Is the new house for your plan for us right now? So I had to go and repent and say, Lord, I'm sorry that I'm moving based on competing with someone just because I feel pressure. Two years later, we're still in the same complex house. And my daughter is there and she loves that house. And now I know, okay, Lord, we're trusting you for a house. I've got my things that I'm trusting for in the kind of house that we're looking for. Now it's birth in faith, not in fear. Not in I'm losing out. Do we give so that we can walk out every good work God has planned for us? So that we can be generous in every way? And so that thanksgiving will increase towards God? Do you get that when you are generous, your generosity produces prayer and thanksgiving, which equals worship towards God? Generosity is a way that you and I can fill the atmosphere of planet Earth with worship towards God. That is what it unlocks. Can we fill up the sky of South Africa with worship unto God by being generous? There's a place where we have to start trusting His word more than your bank account. If He says, what you sow, you will reap, that we start believing that. If you sow sparingly, you will reap sparingly. If you sow generously or bountifully, you will reap generously and bountifully. Now, the next question is a common question because I've asked it as well, but what about me? What about my needs? I can't give if I'm not. Where's, hold on. What about me? I don't know. What can I give? So not touching on all the scriptures that actually promises God's provision over your life, and there's a lot of them. You can read it in the Bible. This thinking is kind of a trap. This thinking traps you and enslaves you and limits you that your life will only be determined by how much money you have and not the call of God on your life. Verse 10 puts it very, very, very clearly. He who supplies, say seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of the righteous. So what does God do? He who supplies? Do you see that God provides seed and bread? So maybe a quick test. Maybe this is a good place for you to realize, do you have a seed theology or a need theology? Need theology is all about my needs, where I am at, what I need, what my plans are, what, what my business needs, what my family needs. A seed theology says, Lord, how can you use, even though I have little, to grow because I know you will provide for me. Verse 10 says, he who supplies seed for the sower and bread for food. See, when we sow, God takes care. But you see what comes first? Seed comes before bread. A lot of you are eating your seed as bread. What I love about this is not only does he supply this, he wants to multiply it. 
That's why the series is called Multiply. He wants to take your seed and he wants to multiply it. He wants to increase it. No farmer takes a, a sack of grain and plants it and only produces a sack of, of um, quoting back. When you plant five seeds, you will always, the harvest is always greater than what you've planted, right? So in fact, I'm just going to say, you, not only do you sow, but you reap, you, you reap more than what you sow. That's just the laws, how God created and it brought it into existence. Can I ask that we trust God not only to supply seed and bread for us, but he will multiply it. That is the freedom that God wants to bring in our lives. He wants to free you from a lack mentality, a need theology, and say, I don't just want to supply for you, I want to multiply it. Let's start trusting God for multiplication. So what this passage, in essence, is saying, the more you give, the more God gives back so that you can continue to give. If I can sum it up, the more you give, the more God gives back so that you can continue to give. It also shows us that the heart of generosity or a heart of generous giving is not based in your wallet or your bank account, but by a heart that is determined to be generous. And this we need the Holy Spirit every single day to work in us, to change our hearts, to fix us, because the self-help plan will fall you short in three weeks now. If you're going to motivate yourself the next weeks, I'm going to be generous. That will change in July. We need the Holy Spirit to enter into our lives and say, Lord, change my heart. Change my heart. I need you to speak and change and work and wrestle with what's happening inside here so that I can use your word and my conviction as a basis for my generosity, not my bank account. So how are we going to apply this message today? Can I ask that we give and give until you learn to love it? It's like training. First month, terrible. Gymming, running, horrible. Then you start, hey, I'm, I'm enjoying this. Because you're starting to actually see progress. Start small. Start in-house. Just start. Whether it's with, just start somewhere. In campus ministry, we always tell, that if you get a thousand rand, give a hundred. Even if you just start, because if a hundred rand has got a grip over your soul, what will ten thousand rand do when you start earning a salary? It's only going to grip your soul. It's going to crush your soul. So start small. I'm thankful as a church there are many opportunities for you to be generous. I'm thankful that we have social responsibility projects. We have reach. There's ministry partnership. There's um, just generously blessing someone because they sit next to you every 45 weeks of the year. There's Jonathan and Lindry. Let's bless them. Let's be generous towards their break. What opportunity. And then think bigger. Start small, start in-house, and let's think bigger. Let's think bigger. Let's try to speak. How am I doing business in a way that this is part of the core of what I'm doing? How do I study in a way that I can open up doors for education in Africa so that people who don't, can't afford to get into varsity can actually have the privilege and opportunity to study? Why? Because that, in turn, will bring change in our, in our continent. I'm going to end with a story. There's an author called James Duff. It tells of a time when an English pastor, Andrew Fuller, was collecting or raising funds for missions. And he went to a friend of his who 
he'd been friends with for a long time. And um, when presented with this opportunity, the man said to him, well, Andrew, seeing it's you, I will give you five pounds. Now, this was in the 1700s, so five pounds was a lot. Andrew Fuller said, no, I can't take your money for my cause, seeing it's not for me. And he handed the money back to him. The man saw his point and said, Andrew, you're right. Here's 10 pounds, seeing it is for Jesus Christ. I've concluded, let us remember, it is not the amount we give towards the Lord's work. It is the motive that he looks at. It is the reason that he looks at. It's for his kingdom and his advancement. Let's pray. Thank you, God, that your word is so beautiful and clear in it. And it births life in our souls and in our hearts. And I really pray, Lord, that what was shared in your word today, if anything else isn't from you, Lord, I pray may it just fall off our ears. But I pray may this cause a response in our hearts to think differently about life, to think differently about our finances, to think differently about even how we plan and how we spend and how we earn. Because the opportunity is so great. Father, lead us to be sowers. And lead us to be trusters that the bread will be there at the end of the day. Because that is what your word provides. And I pray, may your word become the basis of our foundation of how we see and think finances. I just want to maybe pray, if you just feel like you've realized that you've got more of a need theology than a seed theology. It's not, Lord, how can you use me to advance your kingdom? It's not, Lord, what about me? What about me? I just want to pray for you this morning. That the Holy Spirit will come and just break that today. That the way you think about finances is not about just filling your pocket or or making you feel comfortable, but it's to live and, and trust for greater. Matthew 16, we see Jesus teaches a parable where it says 30-fold, 50-fold, 100-fold. The big of finances is so much greater than... God, we need your help. So if that's you, just maybe raise your hand. I just want to pray a short prayer with you. And while everyone's eyes are closed. Mm, awesome, thanks. We're going to trust that the Spirit does something. Thank you, Lord, that you're here to work in our hearts. And I pray for everyone. May you work in our hearts, twist and mold, shape and shake the fear or the faithlessness that maybe dominates this aspect of our lives. I pray may we be a generous church that is like a a light that shines in the city of Chwane, but that Africa and the world may benefit from who, who we are and what we believe. I pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.